he would he would close out the enemy in every way and, and that 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 Satan would not have a foothold in her mind, um, taking advantage of whatever illness she's dealing with and continue to pray for the doctors to offer the absolute best care they can and, and have some level of, of answers here. because There still is a good bit of unknown involved in this. And thank you guys so much. As you, I know you guys have been praying. Uh, I continue to get emails um, about how people can be praying and, and just continue to pray and trust the Lord. And, um, and uh, yeah, and, and, and continue to encourage the Henleys um, in ways that are, are helpful. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so um, uh, we'll jump into the sermon if, if there's nothing else this morning. Uh, we're coming from Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. And the title of the sermon this morning is Religion That Pleases God. And I realize that I've said the word religion a lot here in the past few Sundays. And some of you may have been wondering why uh, isn't what, everything that we do isn't this religion, Christian religion. And so just a little bit of clarity on what I mean by religion. Uh, when I say religion, I mean the, the religious things that we do, the things that we do as practice as part of being Christians, like coming to church or, or even praying or preaching sermons or the liturgy we read, those types of things. And what we'll see in our passage this morning is that we can do religious things in ways that aren't necessarily pleasing to God. Right. We can practice religion and religious things in ways that actually isn't pleasing to God. And so we want to make sure that in the practice of our religion, the things that we do, that we are indeed pleasing the Lord in doing them. Amen. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to see an example of some people who practice a lot of religious things, but weren't pleasing to God. And, the, and one person who was practicing it and was indeed pleasing to the Lord and how we can uh, model that or have that. Uh, and our, mimic that in our own lives. So Mark chapter 12, verse 38 through 44. Uh, I'll read the text and then I'll pray and then we'll jump in. So beginning in verse 38, it says, as he taught Jesus, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for a show they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, friends. Dear God, I'm grateful to be here again another Sunday worshiping with my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the faithful leadership of Rachel and our worship leaders as they led us in singing to you. Jesus, I thank you for being pleased with the fruit of our lips and coming and, and, and being with us this morning. And as, um, as we get to the sermon, Lord, I pray that you would continue to be pleased to be with us, that you would grant us ears to hear what it is you're saying to us. You would grant us soft hearts, receptive hearts, to receive exactly what it is you're saying to us. 
And Lord God, that your word would be today as good seed sown in good soil and you would reap a harvest of us 30, 60, even 100 fold times that which was sown. Lord God, I do ask for your grace and your help in me. That Holy Spirit, with you working through me, your word would be preached with clarity, with conviction, and you would add to it your effectual power to accomplish exactly what you set it forth to do. Even as your word says, your word will not return void. Lord God, we continue to lift up Emma to you and just pray for her continued healing. We pray for your encouragement and your comfort and peace upon the Henley family. And Lord, on all of us in our hearts and our minds, as we all together continue, continue, Lord God, to, to bear with this illness of our dear daughter and sister and friend. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor because indeed you are worthy of all praise. We thank you for what you've done and what you will do in the rest of this service. And Lord God, I do ask even that from this sermon someone may, may hear truth and call on your name in faith and be saved. Again, we give you all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to begin this sermon with a picture this morning. I looked up pictures of actual, yeah, am I not on? Go to the handheld? Okay. Have you guys... Testing, testing in my own. All right, all right. So I, I looked up a picture of actual slaves, African-American slaves, and... To my surprise, there are a ton of actual images of slaves in the United States. It's, it's quite, quite amazing. From as early as like late 1700s, I don't know when the camera was create, uh, invented. But one of the things we know about African-American slaves is that when they worked in the fields or in plantations, one of the ways that they passed their time was with singing songs. And very often these songs were songs of the spiritual nature. They were songs of faith. And we've come to call these songs Negro spirituals. And very often these songs had deeper meanings than what could be understood just from the words that were sung. And this was by, this was on purpose. Very often the slaves would hide what they really wanted to say in the words of their song so that they understood, but so that their enslavers or their slave masters wouldn't for the fear of punishment. And one such song was a song of protest that was called All God's children got shoes. And the way this song goes was it said, I got shoes and you got shoes. All God's children got shoes. When we get to heaven, we're going to put on our shoes and shout all over God's heaven. Of course, the irony of the song is that a lot of slaves as they were working in the fields and working in the plantations, didn't have shoes. And that was the point. The song served as a meditation on the hope of heaven, on the meditation of when and where they would finally have the shoes that their aching feet longed for. And at the same time, 
the song served as a denunciation of the injustice of slavery. In his book on Negro spirituals, writer Howard Thurman, he wrote that at the end of this song, with the final verse, the slaves would then look up at what they call the big house, which is the house where the enslavers lived, and they would say the last verse. They would look up and say, but everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. These slaves knew that all religion ain't good religion. They understood that even though their enslavers did a lot of religious things, even though they spoke a lot of religious speak, it didn't mean that they were in fact pleasing God. And this is the issue that Jesus is pointing to in our passage this morning. The hypocrisy of the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the experts of the law, to assume that they could please God through a religion or through religious practices that was more concerned with their outward appearance than the actual care of needy people. They were completely missing the point of the law that they were supposedly experts in. The point that Jesus made explicitly clear in the previous chapter. What's the point of the law? To love God and to love your neighbor. As Pastor Benjamin showed us last week. The religious practices of these leaders did not result in love for God or neighbor. Instead, they resulted in love for self. Right? Look at what Jesus says about them in verse 38. He says, watch out for the teachers of the law. When I was growing up, if someone said, if someone told you, watch your back, you knew that meant that people didn't have your best interests at heart. That's what Jesus said. Jesus is saying, watch your back when these teachers of the law come around. Because they like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. In other words, it's all about them. They had a look at me religion. Look at me. Why do they wear long flowing robes? It's so that you could see them so that you could notice them, and so that when you noticed them, you understood that they were important. So that when you saw them, you would offer them the best greetings. You would give them the best seats in the meeting places and in your homes and in the church, right? The point is to know that they're great, and then by consequence, that no one else is. The point is for the, to know that they're better than everyone else. And brothers and sisters, hear me when I say this. We are all prone to this kind of thinking. We are all prone to this kind of thinking, looking to see who we are better than, how we can be here and someone else can be there. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is this, what kinds of things do we use to look down on other people and on their faith? 
What do we do? How about this? This is one thing that I've been guilty of. Tell me if you've ever done this. Just say amen. I'm driving around Buckhead or some wealthy area, right? And you see these beautiful churches, these huge edifices, right? And, and these huge, huge houses surrounding these, these big old churches. And I start to think to myself, boy, it sure is hard, hard for a rich men to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. Harder than a camel going through the eye of a needle. Look at all of these needles that these people are building for themselves. Well, I sure I'm glad I worship down in English Avenue. Am I the only one? Why can't Jesus be at work there and at work here at the same time? Right. Well, because if I'm honest. The reason I don't want Jesus at work there and at work here at the same time is because I find validation in knowing that my way is better than their way. I find validation in believing that God is more pleased with me than he is with them. Brothers and sisters, we have to be careful in getting caught up with a religion That makes us feel good about ourselves or better than someone else. The goal of religion that pleases God, brothers and sisters, is following Jesus. And following Jesus, the purpose of following Jesus is to rest in his greatness and not our own. Amen? Well, Jesus goes on to pronounce a scathing and we miss how scathing it is that Jesus, this judgment that Jesus pronounces on, uh, on these religious leaders. But he pronounces a scathing judgment on them. He says that with all that they do, he says that these religious leaders devour widows' houses. And this is scathing because one thing that God makes clear in the Old Testament, one thing that God cannot stand is exploitation of needy people. God actually calls that an abomination in Scripture. Look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. He says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you return? Will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. And brothers and sisters, his hand is still upraised because God will bring down the hammer on religious people who use their religion to further subvert or oppress other people. This is the truth. But how are the religious leaders in this passage, how are they doing this? How are they devouring widows' houses like the prophet Isaiah says? Well, it's almost like Jesus hears this question in response to what he's saying, and he says, well, let me show you. 
And so Jesus takes them and he goes over to the treasury in the temple. That's where people come and give the offering. That's the offering basket. And you may have heard this story. The offering basket in the temple were these big, like almost like a, a tuba. You ever seen the horn of a tuba? It was something like that, and it was made out of brass. And the goal of this instrument was so that when you threw your offering into it, you could tell how big the offering was by how it resounded, right? That was the point of it. And so what would happen is if you had a big chunk of change, right, you would, you would go in there and you would sling that thing, and you would bang, and people would know, right, that you were somebody. Right. And if you if you if you had, if you had just a little bit, you would just go and sheepishly drop it and you, and you and you would scamper off. And so Jesus says when he when he puts himself when he puts himself in in, in in that proximity where he's sitting across from these big cauldrons, these big tubas, if you will, where people were throwing their money. This is what this is what the, the, the gospel writer Mark tells he sees. He says many rich people threw in large amounts. Many rich people were slinging big chunks of change into these big cauldrons. But a poor widow came and she put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus says, truly, I tell you. Jesus says, look at this. Look at this. He says, you see this widow with these two little coins. She put in more than all the rest. You, 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 you're missing it. Imagine being grown up an entire culture, your entire life that told you that the person who slung the big chunk of change was more pleasing to God than anyone else. And now hearing Jesus says the woman who put in the smallest amount put in more than everyone else. Can't imagine how dumbfounded they must have been. Jesus says, because they all gave out of all their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, everything, everything she had, all she had to live on. Brothers and sisters, don't miss it. Why was her tiny offering more than all the great chunks of change that the rich people put in? Faith. Faith. She had enough faith to believe that God could do more for her and his people with those two little cents than all the chunks of change that these religious folks were throwing in. She had enough faith to believe that if she gave all that she lived on, God could sustain her. That God would sustain her much like the widow in the story we read earlier. Brothers and sisters, there's much to be said about a kind of faith that gives to the point that it hurts because we trust God to supply our needs. There's a lot to be said about that. However, if it's okay with you this morning, I'd like to take a quick Walk past another perspective on this text today and the widow this morning and, and the widow. I want to ask ourselves a quick question. How in the world did this widow get to the point where all she had left in her possession were these two little small copper coins when there was so much money given to the temple? 
How in the world could one of God's faithful servants become so destitute when the house of God was so wealthy? How in the world could this happen? Well, it's simple, brothers and sisters. The religious leaders were lining their pockets to the neglect of those who needed their help. This is how they devoured widows' houses. This is how they exploited God's neediest people to the point that they could no longer support themselves. Friends, hear me. If our religion doesn't result in compassion for others, then it ain't even worth the two copper coins that this widow threw in that offering basket. I remember one time, I don't remember where I was preaching, and this, is, this has been 10, 12 years ago. I was preaching, and it was a church with, with, with several older people in it, and I think it might have been on this text. And I told them, I said, uh, and I was a little bit more, um, what's the word, arrogant than I am now. And uh, some of you guys said, That's, is that possible? Yes, it's possible. It's possible. But um, I, I remember, and I, I said, uh, I said, and, and mothers, when the, tele, when the televangelists tell you to give them your money, don't give them your money, pay your bills, or something like that. I said something like that. And I expected everybody to say amen, but it was just dead silent. And I was like, hmm. And I just felt really small at the moment. But let me just say again, brothers and sisters, listen to what I'm saying. Don't give your money to people who are trying to fleece the flock. I said don't give your money to people trying to fleece the flock. Amen? Amen. Because what we are experiencing here, brothers and sisters, from this widow in this temple is exploitation. And as people of God, we are called to make sure to protect folks from exploitation. Let me tell you something right now. You might, this is not even a part of the sermon. I just want to say this, okay? I just want to say this. I don't mean to blow up his head or anything like that. We have a pastor and Pastor Drew who is so careful with money and how we use what God has given us at this church. We are blessed to have a man over here who is very careful to make sure that we are faithful with all that God has given us. It is a blessing to be at a church where we can give and know that that money is going to where we feel like the Lord would have us to use it. But I do say this, as I said, as a thing of precaution, I watch these things late at night on TV saying, give give a thousand dollars for some miracle healing water. Let me tell you something. Jesus don't need no miracle healing water to heal you. I feel like I'm preaching in another church. People just ain't listen. I said, Jesus don't need these things. Okay. And we have to make sure that we guard the church against these levels of exploitation, brothers and sisters. But again, friends, getting back to the sermon now, God desires our compassion for others. God desires our compassion for others. Our goal in following Jesus is to care for others even as he cares for them. And I think we can learn a few things about how to care for others through Jesus' example in this passage. And the first thing is this. We have to position ourselves like Jesus positioned himself, right? Jesus positioned himself in such a way as he sat there across from the the temple treasury. Jesus positioned himself in such a way that he could clearly see and notice the plight of the poor widow. 
And as a matter of fact, brothers and sisters, this is the point of the incarnation. When Jesus comes down and takes, off, takes on flesh, he is positioning himself in such a way that he can recognize with humanity. And we're called to take part in such kind of um, incarnation, right? Jesus takes on flesh in order to better recognize with us. Jesus shows us that one of the keys to caring for other people is proximity. Are we close enough to our neighbors to be able to notice their need? And secondly, when we help like Jesus, when we serve like Jesus, we recognize like Jesus. Jesus recognized the woman's sacrifice. Because of his proximity to suffering people, Jesus was able to recognize that this woman was offering all that she had to live on. So the question for ourselves is, do we understand our context and the people who live in our context? Do we understand to the point that we could help them in such a way that we're not hurting? We have to be able to recognize in that way. And I want, you, I want us to hear this, brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter where you live, okay? I tried to point this out in a sermon. It doesn't matter if you live in Buckhead. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't matter if you live right here off of Bankhead. There's no difference. Do you know your neighbors enough to know their needs? Do you know your neighbors enough to be of service to them, to pray for them specifically? That's important. And lastly, once we've once we've positioned ourselves like Jesus and then we recognize the need like Jesus, then we act or we move on their behalf like Jesus. Now, although the story doesn't tell us explicitly what Jesus did for this woman, I, I'm led to believe that Jesus did something for her. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this. What can we do to bring Jesus, if you remember a word we used a couple weeks ago, sozo, right? What can we do to bring Jesus all-encompassing healing and restoration and redemption to our neighbors, the people around us? What are we doing to bring this sozo to their lives and their situations? All right? How are we doing with this? What are we giving towards sozo? What are we giving towards the redeeming and restoring work of our Lord Jesus Christ in the world? Because, brothers and sisters, the goal of following Jesus is to rest in his greatness and not our own. And as we follow Jesus, we are called to care for others, even as Jesus cares for us. And we do, and we do this by positioning ourselves like Jesus, recognizing need like Jesus, and lastly and finally, moving on behalf of those in need like Jesus. Amen. And the question I want us to continue to ask ourselves, friends, and this is something the Lord has put on my heart, this idea of the incarnation. I think one of the things we miss about the incarnation is uh, the gravity of what Jesus has done. God, the second person of the Trinity, coming down and taking flesh. How uncomfortable that must have been for him. How out of place he may have felt. And those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. How often are we serving in situations where we feel uncomfortable? How often are we living this incarnation life because we're putting ourselves in proximity to suffering in such a way that we feel out of place? That's exactly what Jesus did. And as followers of Christ, that's what we are called to do, especially in loving our neighbors. 
And that's what I want us to be thinking about this week. Amen. How are you incarnating the way Jesus our Lord incarnated? And let's pray and then we'll go to communion. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters. And I thank you for the opportunity to preach and and share your truth. And I do pray this day, Lord God, that you would grant us in every way all the grace we need, Lord, to be that incarnation presence of our Lord Jesus Christ to our world this week. Help us to position ourselves, help us to recognize, and help us to move, even as you've done for us. All this we ask in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. 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 As we head towards the communion table, I'm going to read a verse uh, that we actually read uh, last night when we were putting the kids to bed as we were talking through